Today, we are starting a new series called Love Your Neighbor, and we are going to take uh, about nine weeks along with our Bethlehem congregation. We're going to go through these messages uh, kind of simultaneously, and uh, it's going to be fun. We, we really feel like uh, there's some practical implications of, of what it means to love your neighbor, uh, so we want to look at it from a gospel perspective of what it means for us and what it means for our lives and for our world, and we're doing this for two reasons. Um, First of all, as a multi-congregational church, we're now meeting in two different locations. We've been meeting here for seven months. When we started meeting at the YMCA, the Bethlehem congregation moved to a new school where they meet at Spring Garden Elementary down in Bethlehem. And, and we feel like it's important at this point to sort of reiterate who we are and sort of what our identity is as a church, that, that it's not our goal to, to get big and fat and, and just load numbers and numbers and numbers of people into one place but it's our goal to, to love our neighbors well, to be on mission, to tell people about Jesus, to invite people into the kingdom of God with us, and then plant more churches. And so we want to see churches planted all over the Lehigh Valley that are contextual to their location, whether that's Emmaus or churches in Allentown or Bath. or I don't know where it's going to be, but we're trusting that as we love our neighbors and people get on mission and come into the kingdom with us, that we will then be able to plant other churches around the valley. So we felt like it was an important time to, to remind everybody that our goal is not just to get big and fat and be our own little holy huddle here, but to love our neighbors well and invite people into the kingdom and see more churches grown. The second reason uh, we're talking about love our neighbors is because it's, it's summer and there's practical ways that we can do that during the summertime. And so we're going to talk about some of those things, but then also we're going to talk about uh, maybe some of the ramifications of loving our neighbor or some of the obstacles to loving our neighbor and, and things like margin, things like intentionality, hospitality. And so those things apply in the summer, but particularly for those of you who have busy fall schedules, I I know some of you have those. When we go into the fall, some of these things we talk about now will come to bear as far as setting margin for yourselves and and being intentional. So today we're going to begin with with Luke 10. Uh, So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn there. If not, we have some Bibles in the back back there that you can grab. You can keep those. Um, in, In Luke 10, we see kind of a famous story uh, probably if your Bible has subtitles, you'll see that it's called like the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, it's, it's this famous story. And Jesus uses these things called parables, these stories that are made up sort of imaginary situations, but he uses them to sort of drive home a deep truth, to drive home some, some really practical things, to, to bring conviction into people's hearts. And so we're going to look at this passage today uh, called the Good Samaritan. And the setting that we find ourselves in this morning, most likely Jesus was teaching maybe in a synagogue, or he was teaching in some kind of local gathering in which he was sharing truths about God's kingdom, and he would be surrounded by his followers, he'd be surrounded by people who were curious about his ministry, and he was probably surrounded by leaders of the Jewish faith who were there to make sure that he wasn't speaking heresy. And this would happen in any synagogue. There were elders there who would listen and listen for heresy, and they would point out And so what we see here today is Jesus must have said something that gets this guy's attention, and he raises a question to Jesus. So uh, we're going to read in Luke 10. um, I'm just going to read this where you can read along or you can listen. Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, as an expert in the law, uh, which is kind of like the Old Testament regulations, when an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I'm just going to interrupt myself right here to say that eternal life here, in a Jewish context, often is about quality as much as it is about quantity. 
All right, it's not just about eternal life, like I want to live forever, but it's about I want the good life. I want the kingdom life. And this man is saying, what must I do to inherit this, this full kingdom eternal life, Jesus? And Jesus' response, it says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? How do you interpret it, he's saying? And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor exactly? In reply, Jesus tells this parable. He says, a man was going down to Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is like this long descent from the plateau of Jerusalem down into Jericho. Uh, This man uh, was going down when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. He moves to the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He has compassion on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, which was like a couple days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus turns and asks this, this man a question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So this story centers around this expert in the law, a lawyer, a guy who's like well-studied in the Old Testament. Now, you already might be like, okay, this isn't about me. I'm not an expert in the law. But I I think we need to be careful here Uh, because for many, many people that claim to be Christians, that go to church for a long time, uh, we end up sliding into the religious expert place. Okay, we end up putting ourselves into that category. It's not even intentional, it's not necessarily conscious, but we find ourselves in this place. We just sort of end up there, sometimes over time, sometimes it comes with age. We start to think that we've got it all nailed down, that we've got it all figured out, that we've done our studies and and we are firm in our ways and God is no longer allowed to poke at our assumptions, he's no longer allowed to to convict us or transform us. We We get set in our way. And in this in this case, this religious scholar. This man, this lawyer, has interpreted the law in the Old Testament over and over and over again. And he's tried desperately to apply it to his life. And he's now asking Jesus to clarify for him what he must do to get into the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. He's been striving for this, trying to follow the law, trying to obey the rules. But in his mind, he's got it all figured out already. He's not really asking. He's got it all figured out, and he knows that he's in. He knows that he's done everything right. He says, Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, what I've been doing. But he wants to know how Jesus would qualify him, how Jesus would justify his good behavior, justify that he's in, prove that he's in and maybe other people are out. That's the mindset that I think as Christians we often find ourselves in without even thinking about it. Who's in? Who's out? What do I need to do to earn God's blessing, to get him to pour out these blessings on me, to prove that I'm good enough and that I'm 
in and these other people are out. So this man asks Jesus what he has to do to inherit this eternal full life. And like I said, this is as much about quality of life and full life and kingdom life as it is about quantity, about actually living forever. He's asking, how do I, how do we get into this kingdom? This is what the Jews have been waiting for for centuries. So Jesus wisely answers like he often does. He comes back to the man with a different question. And he says, what do you think? What do you think? How do you think you get eternal life? Like, what have your studies shown you and you've been studying the law and all these regulations? What have you found there? What does the law say and what does it intend? And the man answers by saying, well, the law can be summed up by these two things. Love God, love others, right? Love God, love others. It's what we read on stage just a little while ago as well. He says, love God with all of your being, everything in you, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus agrees with the man. Right? He agrees. He said, yeah, you want to inherit eternal life? You need to love God. You need to love others with, with all of yourself. And the man sums up the laws, these two things, and Jesus agrees with him. This is what the summation of the law and the Old Testament regulations have always been. The intent and the purpose of the law was always a vertical love of God, of knowing who God is and loving him, and it was a horizontal application of loving the world around them. This is what God intended for the Jews to do, was to love God and love others. That was the purpose of the laws. They're they're guidelines to show them what that looked like. But what's interesting is that after agreeing with the man about what the summary of the law is, the, the man then presses Jesus further. He goes after Jesus a little bit more, and the man asks, okay, then who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Who am I actually supposed to love? And asking this this question, he's essentially saying, I've got the vertical piece covered, Jesus. Like, I'm good there. You know I'm a good Jewish man. I've done this part. I love God with all myself. I've nailed it. How about you just justify my behavior towards my neighbor? Tell me that I've got that nailed down, Jesus. Tell me about the horizontal part. Listen, this man was a strict adherent to the law. He was a, he was a lawyer. He had studied it. He's been been adhering to this for years. It's safe to assume that he's lived much of his life attempting to obey the law, to obey the regulations of the Old Testament. He he would have taken part in the religious ceremonies. He would have gone to church, as it were, over and over again. He would have gone on pilgrimages to Jerusalem. He would have given tithes and offerings and his first fruits to the temple. He would have cared for the poor. He would have done all of these things. He would have kept the purity laws. He would have memorized parts of the Torah. He would have gathered regularly with the religious and so on. He would have been doing these things. He most likely would have been doing what the Levitical law cared for, which is to care for the poor, to care for the aliens among them, to treat them as themselves. Yet here he is, he's asking Jesus to justify his treatment of his neighbor. And he asks the question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor that I need to care for? How am I doing at the neighbor part, Jesus? He's asking what I would call a transactional question. He's asking for a transaction. He's saying, have I earned it? Have I done enough of this horizontal part for you to give me eternal life, for God to give me eternal life? He's doing this this transactional thing. So I would say, ultimately, he's not even really concerned about his neighbor. He doesn't actually love his neighbor. He just wants to know that he's blessed by God. So he asks Jesus to, to justify his, his behavior. And this is, 
This is often a religious mindset. And again, I think we need to be warned here that we fall into this ourselves. How much do I have to do to get God to bless me? Am I doing everything right so that God will pour out blessing on me? Or sometimes we do this too. How much can I get away with so that God doesn't throw a lightning bolt at me? How much can I actually get away with so God isn't mad at me? And we have this tendency to move in this direction, this religious direction. And this, this story, this lawyer is so consumed with fulfilling the law and the regulations that he's missing the heart of the law. He's missing what the law was intended to do, and it's actually selfish on his part. When, uh, when I was younger and, and still living at home with my parents, uh, I have a younger brother, and, and my dad was a truck driver, and he'd be gone over the road for like four or five days at a time. And, and he would task me and my brother during the summer months with taking care of the yard. I had to mow. My brother was supposed to weed whack and, uh, you know, take care of the, the trimming around the yard and everything. And, and I would do my part. I'd mow the lawn. And if the weed whacking didn't get done, like, I didn't care. It wasn't my job. Like, I, I did my part of the job. And if my dad came home from, from driving for five days and was like, hey, I, I asked you guys to do the lawn, I could very much say, I did my part. Give me my allowance. I did my part, right? I fulfilled the task that you gave to me. But I didn't care about my dad. I didn't care about loving him and honoring him and, and actually doing what needed to be done. I was just trying to fulfill the law. Do you see what I'm saying here? Like, I, I, I cared about the task, but not about the heart of the matter of actually caring for my dad. I wasn't living in a, in a transformed way. I, I, I was missing the heart of what my dad actually wanted. And this lawyer is doing the same thing. He's like, look, I've done my part. He doesn't actually care about his neighbor. He's just trying to fulfill the law. So Jesus, as he often would do, wasn't looking for a transaction. He wasn't looking for this transactional agreement. That wasn't the point of the law. The point of the law had always been to be transformational. It was meant to transform the people of God. The point of the law was to to love God and to love neighbor to point out the ways in which that could actually take place within a community of God. What it would look like in everyday life for, for a Jewish man, for a Jewish woman. What it would look like for an individual, in a family, in a nation. It was meant to enculturate, the law was meant to enculturate the children of God to, to make them people of mercy. To make them loving people who would care about the world around them. And, and listen, the law allowed for mistakes, you understand this? Like the regulations of the Old Testament allowed for mistakes, allowed people to mess up, allowed people to become unclean, and a sacrificial system allowed them to be made clean and holy again. Because the point was to empower them to live lives of love towards God and towards their neighbor. So Jesus takes the opportunity in this moment with this, this man to point out what transformational, what the transformational law of, of love of God and of others looks like by telling this parable about this good Samaritan. Think about this, though. He essentially reframes the question, right? The, 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 the guy asks him, well, who am I supposed to love? Like, who is my neighbor? And Jesus reframes it and, and actually asks the question, are you a good neighbor yourself? Are you actually a good neighbor Are you actually someone who's been transformed by the the love of God so that you then love others? Now, in this story that Jesus tells in this parable, it's like a priest, a Levite, 
and a Samaritan go to a bar. Like, that's, that's, uh, okay. So he's telling a story, right? And so there's these three people, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. And and, and you might not pick up on it, but there's a, there's a descending social scale that's happening in this story. All right, on, this, on the social hierarchy, he's actually going lower. The priests were the pinnacle of the Jewish society. They were the ones who were closest to God. They got to work in the temple. They were surrounded by all these religious people. They were always doing all these holy things. They were like the pinnacle of the Jewish world. And then there were the Levites. These were guys who were descended from the tribe of Levi, and they were, they were the ones who got to work hand-in-hand hand with the priests to care for the temple. They got to care for the big godly building. They got to take care of the sacrificial animals. They would take care of the, the incense, all these things that were needed to make the religious life of Israel function. So priests, Levites. Now, you would think in Jesus telling this story that he would descend down the ladder. Now he goes from priest, he's not the hero, Levite, he's not the hero. It's going to be a Jewish guy. That's who it's going to be. It's going to be a good Jewish man who's the hero of this parable. No. He descends to the social basement and he picks a Samaritan. He goes all the way to the basement. He he picks this outcast, dirty Samaritan. And if you don't know this, the, the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. They did not get along. Jewish people thought that Samaritans were like half-breeds, didn't know who God was, didn't know how to worship him, were dirty and unclean, and they wouldn't associate with them. So Jesus goes to the basement in this story, and he picks a Samaritan to make the hero of the story. Remember, Jesus uses parables to make a point. What point is he making? Now, I'll be clear about this right from the beginning. I think the point that he's making here is that the super-religious and the vocational minister, the, the guy who's in vocational ministry, the Levite, they think that they're close to God, and they think that they're holy, but it's actually the dirty Samaritan that gets the transformational law of love in his heart. He understands it and lives it out. It's the Samaritan that is the good neighbor and is justified in his behavior. He's actually living out this eternal, full life that Jesus offers in the kingdom of God. And the priest and the Levite, who are so holy, they actually miss it. That's the point that Jesus is going after. Now, listen, we could come down really hard on the priest and the Levite in this situation. Oh, these terrible guys, they, they were unholy. You know, they, they, they didn't love God. They didn't love others. But if you think with me for a minute about their lives and about their ministries, you might have a little bit more sympathy and you might find yourself actually in their shoes quite often. They both had good reason to cross over to the other side of the road, to not stay on the path where this injured man was. They had perfectly good reasons for doing this. First, there were social concerns. Like imagine, you know, you're like a first century person. You're walking down a long road. There's nooks and crannies where people can be hiding and and you find this guy lying on the path Maybe it was a trap. This would happen in these days where somebody would play dead, they would act like they were injured, and other robbers would come out and then rob somebody who tried to care for them. So maybe there's a legitimate concern on their part to to not stop and approach this man. Or maybe they didn't want to get involved because they didn't know if they'd be able to pay for it. They didn't know if they had time. They had these other obligations. So they avoid the man by crossing to the other side. Or third... Maybe, chiefly, there were religious concerns. Now think about who they were. They're priests. They're Levites. They need to be pure. They need to be clean so they can take part in temple worship. They can't just walk over and touch a bloodied body. 
let alone if the man's dead. This was against the regulations of the law, right? They can't do this and then serve in the temple. They would have to go through an incredible amount of ceremonial cleaning and getting ready so they could go back into the temple. So they've got these religious reasons for not going and getting near this man. So they cross over to the other side of the road. So who will be the hero in this story? It's not the priest. It's not the Levite. Who will be the one to come and touch this bloodied, injured man? Who will be the one who's willing to make himself unclean, to expend what needs to be spent to care for this man, to, to throw off the concerns of society and actually absorb the cost? Who will stay on the path with this man and let his path cross that of the injured man? It's not a Jewish man. It's this Samaritan man, the bottom of the social hierarchy. And Jesus is driving right into the heart of this religious lawyer. And I would say into our hearts today, if we allow him, towards those of us that that tend towards religious legalism and towards this transactional thinking. He's pointing out that the priest's love for God, this holy priest who is vertically in line with God and, and loving God, actually wasn't translating into love for neighbor. And he's missing the point. He's pointing out that the Levites' love for ministry, his love for the temple building and, and, and being around all the priests, his religious duty wasn't translating into love for his neighbor horizontally. They both were so consumed with fulfilling the law that they were missing the heart of the law. They were taking this religious, legalistic view of the law. Yes, it would have been sacrificial for them to honor this man, to love their neighbor in this guy and care for him. It would have been sacrificial for them because they would have lost time to be able to serve. They would have had to go through ceremonial cleansing. But it would have been for the greater good, which has been the point of the law all along. And instead, we see this dirty, outcast, unclean Samaritan get it. He understands the heart of the law. This is what Jesus is pointing out, a love for God and a love for neighbor. Do you see it, friends? Jesus is reframing the question. He's taking, who is my neighbor, that the man asks, and turning it into, are you a good neighbor? Are you willing to do what this Samaritan would do? Now, at this point, it would be really easy to fall into the trap of saying, okay, all right, Jim, I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to go do lots of justice ministry. I'm going to feed the poor. I'm going to care for the homeless. I'm going to get into foster care or or adoption. I'm going to just go out and tell people about Jesus all over the place. I'm going to go to the other side of the world. Listen, God might be calling you to those things. He calls lots of people to those things. He might be calling you to those things. And we're going to talk about some of those as we move through this sermon series. But I need you to know this. At Hope Alliance, whether you're at Nazareth or whether you're at Bethlehem, we believe the same thing, that that God has called us to be a family on mission where we're at, on the paths that we're on. So please know at the beginning of this nine-week series that I'm not here to tell you all the things that you must do now, all these things you need to add into your life. That's not the point of this story. It's not the point of this message. It's not the point of this series. At Hope, we believe that, that we are all placed by God in the paths that we've been placed in to reflect the love of God out into our workplace, into our homes, into our neighborhoods. Now, you might get called into some kind of specialized ministry. Praise God. We need those people in the kingdom. It's fantastic. But for most of us, we're called to be 
moms, dads, teachers, friends, neighbors, co-workers, like, and that's the path that we're on. So my question is, what, what keeps you, what keeps me, what keeps us from encountering those people on our side of the street? Those people who are ahead of us on the path and we see them and sometimes we, we skirt over to the other side and say, you know, I'm going to go to the other side. It's like, what are the things that get in the way of that, that cause you to cross over rather than revealing the love of God to your neighbor? If you're like me, which I assume most of you are, you probably have similar excuses to what I have, similar excuses to what the priest and the Levi had. I have a lack of, like, urgency sometimes. Like, I just, I'm like, eh, I don't need to do that. Like, somebody else will do it. I got my own stuff I'm working on. Like, somebody else can go and love that person. It's fine. Like, they don't, they don't need me. Is it really my business to get involved? Like, I, maybe there's a need there, but do I really need to move towards them? And, like, we won't have this, this sense of urgency. Or sometimes I'm afraid to move towards somebody because I'm like, I don't know if I have time. It's going to cost me something. Like, how long am I going to have to be involved with this situation? You ever had that feeling? You're like, I should probably get involved. Oh my gosh, that's going to take a lot of time. I don't know if I want to do that, right? Like, I mean, or maybe I'm just the only terrible person in here. I don't know. But like, I think these things, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Just this week, um, I was, I was driving home from a meeting and I was behind on preparing for this talk and some other things I was working on. I was like deep in thought about things I was going to say. And, and as I was driving by uh, my neighbors who, who are in the room, uh, as I was driving by their house, I saw they had four cars in their driveway, which is abnormal. There's normally one car or no cars. It's Keith and Gene. They, 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 these are my buddies. They, I told them I was going to talk about them. When I drove by their house, I see these four cars, and they were parked kind of cattywampus, and I was like, what the heck is going on at their house? This isn't normal. And I'm like, that's probably fine. It's, it's probably fine. Like, i got to work on my message. I don't have time to go over there. So I go up to my office, and my office happens to look out at their house, and I'm like, I'm at my laptop, and I'm like, oh, good Samaritan. Like, okay, i got to love your neighbor. There's the cars. Okay. Uh, okay, all right, Lord, I'll go over. Like, I'll go over and find out what's happening. And so I go over and I find out that they were playing dominoes and they had friends over. No problem at all. Like, but like, do you get, like, these are the excuses we come up with. Like, I got that church thing I have to do. I can't go love my neighbor because I have that church thing I got to do. I got to prepare my message. I got vocational ministry I have to do. I, I can't take time to care for neighbors. I don't say that to say, oh, look at me. I went and cared for Keith and Jean. I say that to say, I'm loaded with excuses too. Like, to not expend love towards neighbors because we've got other things to do, places to be, people to, other people to talk to, ministry to focus on. Beyond that, I think sometimes inside of us, I think there's some, some really insidious stuff as well. There's, there's these thoughts that, oh, that, you know, I'm at like this place on the social hierarchy. I don't know if I want to get involved with those people who are on that part of the ladder with these racist things. And I'm like, ah, these people different skin color than me. We never say these things, but they're buried in there. Ah, that Muslim guy, ah, I don't, I'm kind of scared of Muslims. I don't know if I'm going to do that, right? Like, we would never say these things out loud, but they're buried in our hearts and minds. And I would ask you to ask the Lord to convict you and show you where these things are. I'm with you, okay? I'm not saying I don't have these things. 
There's things that keep us from going towards our neighbors. Or something that sets into many church environments is the same thing that happened to these priests and Levites, this, this religious mentality that starts to come about. I don't, I don't want to go mix it up with those dirty, broken people. I got my own holy huddle over here where I'm safe, it's clean, it's good, there's no problems, I can just be there amongst the church people. I don't want to I don't go over there and mix it up with those dirty people. I mean, God wouldn't want me to potentially be tempted by hanging out with those people. I better just stay with the good Christians. Like, I'm not going to go over there and do that thing over there. And we start to become transactional, and we think, oh, I'm doing all these Bible studies, and with all these Christians all the time. God bless me. Bless me. Take care of me for being so holy. And again, I, I don't say this to condemn you or to give guilt. I say it to cause you to think about how we're spending our time towards loving the people around us and find out that we're actually pretty jacked up and broken ourselves and have our own fair share of selfishness. Because at the end of the day, we're all broken. We're all sinful. We're all bound by our own sin, our own brokenness, our own selfishness. We have only our eyes to see what we want to see. We have eyes on our own kingdoms. And deep down, we're like this lawyer who's actually trying to get something by proving ourselves to God. I'm going to serve others, so God, you better bless me. Friends, we're the ones in need of rescue. We're the ones in need of care. We're the ones in need of love. We're the ones who a robber has come and tried to take full life from us and left us on the side of the road. This is what sin and idolatry come to. Who will save us? (laughs) Who will save us from our own selfishness, from our own brokenness, from our own inability to see our neighbor's Around us, who will save us from the robber that's come to lie and steal and kill and destroy our full lives? Well, who am I going to say? Jesus. Jesus saves us. The gospel is what brings us new life. Jesus is the Good Samaritan who came and was made an outcast, who was made dirty for our sake, who took on flesh for our sake, but he stayed on the path and headed right for us. He didn't cross over to the other side of the road. He stayed on that side of the road with us and took on our flesh to be among us. And in his love and mercy, he stays on the path and heads right for us. He heads right for you in all of your brokenness, in all of your sin. He offers us oil and wine for the wounds like the Samaritan did. He he paid the price so that we could be made well, so that we could have full life. Do you see it? Out of his love for God... He has this love for us. God is love. Jesus is love. And he fulfills the law of love by loving God and loving us and giving us full eternal life of both quality and quantity, I would argue. When we start to grasp that, when we start to believe that, the love of God for us in Jesus, when we start to understand the great mercy that God has had towards us, we start to have love for others. We start to have mercy for others that flows out of us, and it's no longer transactional. We become transformed by God at work in us. John tells us that we love because he first loved us. It's his love flowing through us to the world around us. Friends, we say this all the time, that I'm not here to preach behavior modification to you, to say, go love your neighbor. I'm here to help us understand our identity. When we believe the gospel, it changes our identity, and then we go and do the behavioral stuff. It flows out of us when we know who we are. So do you fully understand and grasp the love of God for you? Do you see that Jesus is the good Samaritan who stayed on the path to bring you to full life? 
Or do you find yourself crossing to the other side of the street, the love of God not really flowing out of you at work, at school, on your commute, with your extended family, with your own family? In the coming weeks, we're going to look at some really practical aspects of loving our neighbor well. Like I said, things like margin and intentionality and hospitality. But today, as we head into this series, the, the question isn't, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to go serve, God, to get your approval? The question is, am I a loving neighbor? Do I understand the love of God and allow it to flow out of me to the world around me? And loving a neighbor, loving our coworkers, our family, isn't another thing we have to do. It's who we are. It's Christ in us. This is what the power of the Spirit does inside of us. Can you pray with me?